Welcome to Global Dispatches. This is your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. If you've listened to the podcast before, you know that 2015 is a big year for international development. This is the year that the Millennium Development Goals will expire, and they're going to be replaced by the yet-to-be-finalized Sustainable Development Goals. But in creating these new goals, there are a few big questions. How do you measure success? Or, more precisely, what metrics do you use as baselines against which to track progress? And under those questions is an even more elemental one. How good are the data you're using? It turns out, not that great. Today's episode takes a look at this question in two ways. First up, I have Morton Yervin on the line. He's the author of Poor Numbers, How We Are Misled by African Development Statistics and What to Do About It, which was selected by Bill Gates as one of his top reads of 2013. Yervin is a professor at Simon Fraser University, and he offers a really good overview of the data landscape and why it needs improving. Next up, I speak with someone who's actively working to improve the quality of development data in one very focused way. Myra Buvinich is a senior fellow with the United Nations Foundation and with a number of partners helped launch a new initiative called Data2x that seeks to close a so-called gender data gap. And it's worth noting that one of the driving forces behind this new initiative is none other than Hillary Rodham Clinton, who's championed the cause of better data for women in development. So this is an exceedingly interesting and wonky episode that distills a particular problem and a particular solution to that problem in what I think is a very accessible way. So without further delay, here is Martin Yervin. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Good data is important for a lot of things, uh, and particularly if we think about it for importance of, of national policy um, in terms of governments being able to have some kind of idea about how big their population is, how many school kids there are, uh, whether prices are going up or down, whether food production is meeting food demand and so forth like that. Uh, there is also another dimension of it, which is uh, where numbers maybe are uh, particularly uh, visible in, in current uh, debates is, you know, how institutions like the IMF uh, or the World Bank order and rank countries according to important statistics like GDP per capita. They also decide which countries should get financial aid, who should not, and so forth. And then there is another kind of uh, longer term dimension. And I think when we talk about statistics and data for low-income countries, a big, uh, big part of the user group here are, are researchers and the development community at large, and many academics, but also, of course, growing uh, think tanks and so forth, both within countries and also a lot of them based in Europe and, and North America, who uh, uh, use the data, uh, make cross-country comparisons, and then based on those data, decide 
what is good policy, what is bad policy, what are the determinants of success, and what are the the one uh, the kind of things that can uh, lead you astray. So data, I think about data for for policymakers, for global governance, and also for for knowledge for for the research community. Um, so what do we know about what we don't know about data for development? Well, um, I think that uh, in my book, Poor Numbers, I start with this this knowledge question. And uh, I, I say that uh, we know much less than we, we would like to think. Uh, we, I think it's an interesting thing that's been going on, in uh, particularly in macroeconomic research, uh, but also in other fields, that one, the, it's been a turn from the type of uh, um, country economists who have fingertip knowledge about the country they're speaking of to using a lot of data in big statements, using cross-country uh, comparisons and so forth like that, and therefore we become more and more dependent on the quality of these numbers. Uh, that kind of analysis was not really done uh, if you go 20, 25 years back, uh, but with the uh, today every every uh, every uh, year there is even more country data sets, ranking countries on GDP and but also on on uh, you know such as Freedom House uh, and other kinds of global indicators, and uh, I think that uh, you know. Uh, we forget, uh, sometimes we just use these observations in the data sets as facts, uh, as meaningful facts, and also uh, as equivalent facts, so that we think that an observation from southern Sudan is the same kind of validity as an observation as of Germany, and then can be readily compared. Uh, but what I'm saying is that, you know, you need to do like a good historian, a good journalist, to ask yourself, who made this observation? Uh, 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 where does this observation come from? Is there any reason to think that it's biased and so forth? So, and I for think, example, like yeah. a you know health minister of or a health official in South Sudan would be using perhaps different criteria to measure something like child mortality than a health minister in Zambia or Germany. Exactly. So that you know, uh, HIV statistics is one uh, classic example where usually, if you talk about such statistics from Canada or Norway, these are actually detected cases. Whereas uh, for uh, low-income countries, many low-income countries, you are projecting backwards based on uh, you know patchy mortality data. So you have some kind of idea how many people have have uh, have, uh, and uh, and then you go back and try to estimate the population of these. So what you're seeing is for a range of indicators, health, social, and economic data, you are uh, relying more and more on guesses and so forth. And what we, what you know, some of these things are are. Uh, forgotten when we make those global comparisons. That's that's the, the central message. Um, so are there specific sectors where the data is particularly weak? I mean, you just mentioned HIV AIDS. Um, are there others where you are just not confident in the validity of the data in terms of like cross-country comparisons, as you said? Well, you know, my expertise is macroeconomic statistics and particularly GDP. Um, and so, take one example. Then, in uh, in 2010, uh, Ghana updated their base year for GDP. So it means the benchmark for how they calculate the size of the ec economy was updated from uh, 1993 to 2006, and it found out that GDP per capita suddenly was about 1,100 uh, US dollars instead of uh, about 600 US dollars before. 
Then last year, uh, uh, Nigeria did the same thing in April, updated their GDP uh, per uh, GDP benchmark uh, measure from 1990 to 2010. Their total GDP almost doubled. It suddenly overtook South Africa as the largest economy in sub-Saharan Africa. And total GDP in Africa alone, as a matter of this kind of accounting a change in accounting methods and basic data going into this benchmark, total GDP for sub-Saharan Africa increased about 20%. So, so is it fair to say that like Africa is perhaps wealthier than we would expect? Well, yes. I mean, uh, a lot of, so we saw that uh, Nigeria was almost double the size. So that meant that um, estimates of such as debt uh, as a share of GDP uh, was, you know, uh, very much uh, higher than it should have been. Uh, but it also meant that, for instance, if you do uh, Nigeria's uh, ability to collect taxes as a share of GDP uh, looks much worse today and so forth like that. So, And then if you went around and made a comparison <coughs> with uh, Ghana and Nigeria, for instance, which you might want to do. You might want to write a report about what's happening in West Africa economically and so forth like that. Then before before and after these revisions, you'll get completely different kind of results if you make a comparison and, and lessons learned. It means that, uh, yeah, uh, many many as economies in Sub-Saharan Africa might be underestimated at this point. It also means that, uh, you know, when you know that total GDP in Nigeria was recently underestimated by about uh, 89%, then you also would be a bit careful about using GDP growth numbers from these countries as well. You know, if, if, if you're missing half of the economy, how much can you trust the numbers saying, oh, gr growth is now 6 7 or 8% or 3% and so forth like that? Um, so I guess uh, the flip side of my previous question is um, what – um, data points or data sets, particularly as they relate to development, are you most confident in? Is there a particular area like child mortality or, or like malaria rates that you find uh, particularly compelling that the data is particularly, I think, useful and accurate in your opinion? Well, here is the what one has to do when one use as data users. So one of the things I want to educate uh, data users, journalists, researchers, and, and so forth, is to always ask yourself, uh, how good are these data? So if you are, for instance, then uh, for some countries, you might have very uh, recent and good population data, right? So you have a recent population census, which you think was reasonably well conducted, for instance. So then you're happy, for instance, with quoting the, the total population in, in uh, Uganda at the moment, because they just had a new census. But you would be very careful about uh, saying something about the total population in southern Sudan at the moment, because they only had the census in, in 2008. Everyone said it was maybe underestimating the southern Sudanese population and and and, and so forth like that. So uh, knowing which country you're talking about and particularly what, what was the data source of the of this estimate. Um, but more if I want to, if I wanted to generalize within macroeconomic statistics, then you know uh, there are some parts of the economy uh, so the knowledge problem, I like to say that our knowledge problem is biased, doubly biased, that it is that we know less about uh, poorer countries 
and we know less about the poor people on, in these poor countries. And that's a bit alarming if, if you think that a lot of these statistics, particularly in the context of Millennium Development Goals and Sustainable Development Goals, is marshaled in order to improve the livelihood on exactly these, these places. Um, so, uh, but within an economy, for instance, you would think you know, you know, you know much more about the, the size of the total government than you know, know about the small and, and medium scale sectors. You know more about what goes on in, in capital cities and much less about what goes on, on in the rural areas. You know much more about stuff that crosses the border towards the sea. So you know stuff that leaves uh, uh, Kampala uh, for Europe through Mombasa, but you know much less about the stuff that leaves uh, between uh, Kampala and Juba uh, with the, the border to southern Sudan. So there, we have big blind spots in, 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 in our knowledge and sometimes not knowing what we don't know, as you, you asked about earlier, might then mean that our, our, our uh, judgment of what is important, what is the important trend and so forth, uh, where to build a road and so forth might be equally biased. Um, so looking ahead to the Sustainable Development Goals and what's being called the post-2015 um, development agenda when uh, the United Nations and member states create this set of, of new Sustainable Development Goals to guide um, international development from 2015 to 2030, um, how do you recommend uh, they approach this question of data um, and how their baseline assumptions should be set based on uh, a lack of quality data that you identify. Well, I'm I'm um, I'm a bit concerned uh, about the, the current development. Um, one thing is that uh, I'm concerned about is is the kind of the hybris uh, of of uh, the hubris of of thinking that everything can be counted. Uh, the name of the report, the expert report, was a world that counts. And then, you know, the, you have to ask yourself the question, what about the things that cannot be counted? Uh, it's, you know, widely accepted among uh, practitioners who are interested in poverty that the, the most important parts of poverty, such as exclusion, participation, entitlements and so forth, are not necessarily countables, not quantifiable aspects, aspects such as dignity and so forth like that. And so therefore to go along thinking that uh, we can count everything makes, you know, that we, you do the obvious mistake of thinking that, you know, you, you treasure what you can measure, uh, and, and which, which might mislead us. Another thing is that we, as I already talked about, because we do see all these data sets around us, uh, we do tend to think that the world consists of 200-something countries, and then we have poverty data in all of these countries, but we don't. We have, we have poverty data on, 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 uh, on uh, more than half, but, but um, many of, for some countries we don't have any uh, data points. For many countries we only have one data points, and for very few countries do we have up-to-date data points, so that uh, a lot of the, the kind of global trends and so forth is put together making guesses, extrapolations, and so forth like that. And sometimes the need for data, uh, you know, uh, and the need to fill the gaps in the global data sets trumps the, the, the pursuit of knowledge uh, and the, the way of actually finding uh, things out. And sometimes that means being uh, showing some kind of uh, being a bit modest about what you want to measure and so forth like that. And then the second part 
of my reservations about uh, the Millennium Development Goals and the Sustainable Development Goals is that if you start looking, and, and this is conceded by, by uh, in the official reports as well, there are many, many big gaps in the Millennium Development Goal database. It relies on a lot of projections. So instead of learning from that, uh, and then maybe perhaps thinking that maybe we should make the list uh, shorter, it's been longer. Uh, so now we have 169 targets. And what you forget is that, you know, how are how is a statistical office in such and in southern Sudan or, or in, in Tanzania be able to deliver an annual data, annual disaggregated data per gender, per region and so forth like that? How are they going to be able to deliver credible data uh, while also tending to other needs of these statistical office are supposed to serve their citizens and their and their governments in in providing information in then that knowledge circle as well. So and there are many things about uh, uh, not really paying attention to, uh, to to where do we get this data from and and also taking into account that data has a cost and an opportunity cost as well. I, I see as a major shortcoming. Here with one way to address that shortcoming is Myra Buvenich of the United Nations Foundation and Data2x. For now decades, uh, we have known that uh, we don't have enough data on women and girls to be able to design effective policies. And, uh, you know, there's, there's not enough data in many areas of development, obviously, it's not only uh, women and girls, but women and girls happens to be an area where the data is very bad. There, there are two problems. In a number of areas, there's no data. And this is just because these have been areas where society has really not in the past paid much attention to or value to. And one instance of, of that is, for instance, data on violence against women and girls in, in, in the home. And until recently, we had very little data on it. Now we have a bit better data, but still there are huge gaps in the availability and comparability of data. So that's one problem. The second problem is that in, another, in, in many other areas, there's bad data. And bad data leads to bad policies, obviously. So uh, that is a huge problem as well. And these, in, these areas are typically, for instance, areas of women's economic participation, where uh, the questionnaires, the, the statistical tools that were designed in the past were designed in such a way that they were biased. And then they just don't measure well women's economic participation. They basically undercount women's economic participation. Do you have any examples of instances in which bad data led to bad policies? Well, I mean, the, a huge number of examples. For instance, I mean, it, it is well known uh, that women are less productive in agriculture than men. Uh, and this is not because women are... Uh, worse off or they are not as good farmers or men is just because they don't get access to the to the resources to the productive resources to increase their productivity they don't get access to extension credit uh, tools 
you know, agricultural tools, etc. And this, in part, is the result of the fact that uh, agricultural statistics have undercounted significantly women's participation in agriculture. So that, I think, is a concrete example of how bad data has led to, you know, services, agricultural services targeted to men farmers, while, you know, there's a huge contingent of women farmers out there uh, without access to these services. Another example, and this is a global example, it's not only in developing countries, is health data. Uh, a lot, you know, in the past, health data was not disaggregated by sex. And uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, research, health research, has been done uh, using data on men or males. And this has led uh, to, you know, the, the wrong drugs for women or the wrong uh, amounts of prescriptions, drugs prescription for women that just now people are realizing that, you know, essentially women have been given overdoses of, of drugs. Mm -hmm. And until, until you start disaggregating uh, health data by sex, uh, you start realizing that women and men have very different needs and requirements in terms in terms of health services. So you've described a situation where there uh, is just a paucity, either a paucity of data around uh, women in development or the data is bad. So right. what are you trying to do to fix it? Uh, I know that Data2x, yeah. your organization, just had a, a big um, launch event with uh, Hillary Clinton. So what what is Data2X's plan to address these gaps? Sure. If the first thing I think that is important to, to say is that uh, Hillary Clinton really was, was the force behind the creation of Data2X. Uh, when she was Secretary of State, uh, she knew that this, this problem of data was a persistent problem for women and girls and that something needed to be done about it. So she launched Data to X, and then what we have been doing, we we did we didn't we have done a number of things since she launched it uh, two years ago. The first is we analyzed which were major gender data gaps that were important for policy, and we identified a, around twenty eight data gaps. Then what, what are some examples of those data gaps? Well, the, the ones that I have mentioned you plus, you know, I mean, a lot of different data gaps on economic participation, uh, data gaps on education, data gaps on security, women, peace and security. You know, there's there's a long list of data gaps. Yeah. And we also we qualify the kind of data gaps because sometimes you have information, but the information is not comparable. There are the times, you know, there, there, there are no standards, etc. So we did that at first. And then we pared down the number of data gaps and we said, well, you know, which are gaps that are more actionable, you know, that something can be done about them fairly quickly and that have that there is some kind of international attention to them already and that they affect significant numbers of girls and women globally. 
So with those three criteria, we pare down the gaps and to about 10 or so. And then what we have been doing is identifying partnerships. And in fact, in, at, at the event we just had on December 15, with the participation of Hillary Clinton and uh, Michael Bloomberg, we announced six partnerships. And these are partnerships between mostly international organizations that commit themselves to address one specific data gap. So Data2x basically is, in a sense, a vehicle, a mechanism to bring international agencies and governments to partner and commit themselves to uh, address data gaps. And this is very important because, you know, in data more than in any other field, I think, of international development, you need partnerships to do things. It's, it, it's impossible to do things in isolation because then you go, you, you, you generate duplication and inefficiencies. Um, so there are like many specific areas that Hillary Clinton could have gotten involved in. Um, you know, there are any number of like causes she could have championed. Why do you think uh, she took on this specific cause of like data gaps in development and gender gaps in data development? Because I think I think that she realized that this has been a major, uh, has really made a major obstacle uh, for the advancement of women and girls. Because the only way to really, uh, you know, design effective policy first, before designing effective policies, I think that one data, good data, can prove to governments and countries that investing in women and girls is not only the right thing to do, but it's the smart thing to do. So without the data, you cannot prove that really women and girls make important contributions uh, to the economies of countries. So that's one reason. And the second reason is that, you know, more and more international development agencies, I think, are realizing that they need data to design effective policies and that they need to measure results also and you know and 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 be accountable to their uh, to their audiences and their societies in terms of the achievements that they make measured by concrete results the only way that you can do that is to have good data if you don't have data, you don't have effective policies, and you cannot measure the impact of your programs on women and girls, for instance. I mean, and I think that the Millennium Development Goals, you know, they have really moved the needle forward a bit in terms of improving the situation of people in developing countries is precisely because uh, they had quantitative targets and you could measure them. Um, so... Now you have these uh, six partnerships that, that you discussed. So what, what are the next steps? Now, uh, how are these partners going to go out and collect these data that I guess heretofore was difficult uh, to collect? Like what, how are they going to um, overcome that, that historic challenge in, in collecting sure. gender-specific data? Let me tell you sort of a bit what the partnerships are, and they're all very different. So they all require different strategies. Uh, one uh, talking about women's economic participation and work measures of work and employment, 
The partnership is with International Labour Organization, the World Bank and FAO, and they really will focus on better measuring uh, work and employment and particularly focusing on subsistence agriculture and how we can better measure and report the work women do that in subsistence agriculture that oftentimes gets dropped out of the statistics. That's one of them. A second partnership, and then, you know, what they will do is uh, do, hopefully do pilots in countries to start testing new ways of measuring and, and defining what is subsistence agriculture. A second partnership that is really quite interesting and new is with UN Global Pulse and academics to see about big data and how big data can be used to address gender data gaps. In this partnership, what we're going to be doing basically with UN Global Pulse and, and academic uh, institutions or academics in different institutions is pilot testing. How much things like Twitter feeds, uh, you know, different different types of big data can help address data gap, gender data gaps. And that's uh, here, you know, we have to pilot test and see, you know, how much, for instance, one of the things with Twitter feeds is we want to see if one can uh, get at mental health issues of adolescent girls. But in order to that, you have to you have to work with Twitter data and assess, you know, how how well Twitter data can address these issues. Mm -hmm. A third partnership is a data on financial services, where you know there is we need much better data disaggregated by sex with commercial banks. So there, the partnership is the Global Banking Alliance for Women with the Inter-American Development Bank will be working with commercial banks, uh, motivating them to, to disaggregate their data on clients by sex and anonymize the data. And then, you know, so for which they will need to share common standards uh, to do this so we can have a global database. Um, and. Well, I mean, it sounds. I mean, it sounds like uh, you have your work cut out for you. Is there like a timeline when when you think these projects will conclude, or we can sort of check back and, and look in on the data? Sure, I think. I think you know. I mean, I think we have, we will want to look sort of progress sort of a, on a yearly basis, but then the timelines I think will be very the concrete timelines will will be very ex specific. Uh, to the different partnerships. But, you know, we hope that once a year we will be able to bring the partners together uh, and, sh and, and assess how much progress has been done. This is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's going to be a long process because you basically need, ultimately you need to work very much at a country level with statistical offices in country, uh, with different ministries in countries, so so you want to work at a global level, but but really, you know, to get to get better data, you will end up having to work with the statisticians in countries, and also you need to work with those 
who are going to use the data because there's no point in you know producing more data if you don't get the user to demand that kind of data and to know how to use the data well. So we hope that we're going to be working also with policymakers and more generally with audiences, uh, interested audiences in different countries. Well, thank you all. I love these double episodes. Remember, you can find every episode on UN Dispatch and subscribe for free via iTunes at globaldispatchespodcast.com. We also have a standalone app, which you can get for your iPhone and Android and pretty much any other tablet or device. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye.